Uh, well, good morning. I hope you're ready for a lot of information because I've got a lot for you. If you love something, you care for it. It's a good way to know whether or not someone loves someone. Are they caring for them? Well, Jesus loves his church. He loved his church to the full, to the most, to the max, by caring for it in so many wonderful ways. He gave himself for the church. He died for the church. He went to the cross because of his love for the church. And that's the ultimate demonstration of his love and care for us. We'll never exceed that. Nothing ever could, nothing ever will. It's wonderful. But it was only just the start of his care. Because after he'd um, risen from the dead and ascended uh, to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to be with his church. What a great way to care for your church, to send your spirit, yourself, to be with us, the presence of God with us, to change us and to lead us and to guide us and to comfort us and to bless us with all the gifts we need to operate as a church. He gave us his word so that we can know what he is like and who he is and what life is about. And so that we can hear him speak to us at any time. He's always speaking to us through his word because he loves us and cares for us. Now, another way in which Jesus shows his care and the one that we're going to be focusing our time on today is that he gives his church leaders this really is one of the ways in which Jesus cares for the church. Now, there are many people called to lead within the church. And that's why Dan has just been speaking to us about a conference for all of us called The Making of a Leader. There are opportunities for you to lead in this church. But some are particularly called to lead the church. The word we use for this role is elder uh, because it's the most commonly used term uh, for the role in the New Testament. However, there are a bunch of other words uh, available and used by other churches. Elder isn't particularly used in everyday language, and it can mean quite a different thing in other contexts. Uh, if you're from a Church of Scotland background, uh, you'll think, oh, I, this is what I think an elder is, and I'm going to say something slightly different to that. If you ever met Mormons who call themselves elders, we're not talking about that at all. I'm talking about what we think the Bible tells us eldership is. And I want to try and explain that to you uh, this morning. And the reason we're doing that at the moment is because we are wanting to increase our eldership. There's currently three of us. There's Dan who leads the team. Uh, there's Matthew who planted the church. And there's myself. And we want to add three more guys to that. Andy Wall, Sandy Deans and Chris Rawson. And the three of us as elders in consultation with uh, Dave Holden who uh, oversees our church we all think these guys would be great elders and uh, we're excited to start working uh, with them. But we want you, if you're a member of this church, to be fully involved in this process. We want to hear what you think about these guys. Do you think they uh, can serve in this way? Have you got the same faith that we have got for them? But obviously when we're asking you that question, you think, well, that, you can say, do you think they can do a good job? You're like, I'm not quite sure what you're asking me to see if they're good at. And so that's what this week and next week is all about. It's not just about them, it's about eldership in general, but we hope that it will help you to be involved in the process and giving your feedback on these guys. 
So we're going to look at a lot of the passages in the Bible about eldership and leadership. And uh, we're going to start with one uh, from Peter's first letter. And he was writing to Christian communities who were scattered all over um, Asia Minor, uh, Roman provinces in what we would now call Turkey. So he's not just speaking to a particular church, he's speaking to a whole bunch of people. And this is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why don't we pray? Lord, we want to thank you for your word, that it's part of your care for us. We want to thank you for the cross, that ultimate demonstration of your love and care for us. We want to thank you for your spirit given to us right now because you care for us. Please, Lord, would you speak to us now through your word and by your spirit that we might see how eldership is part of your care for the church, that we might understand our role in the church, each one of us, be excited about that and grateful to you for all that you give us for our good. Amen. Amen. We try to build this church on the principles that we see in the Bible and um, that's how we will explain most of the decisions we make, uh, pretty much everything. We say, we say, the reason we do this is well, we see a principle expressed in the Bible, and the same goes uh, for eldership. And usually with these uh, principles that you find in the New Testament, which is where we're going to see most of our readings are from today, the principle lives or, or originates in the Old Testament. And like many ancient and near uh, and many ancient Near and Middle Eastern cultures, the Jews had developed an association between those who ruled them and the role of a shepherd. Because in those days, um, everyone kind of had to feed for themselves and everyone had sheep. Sheep were a a very common um, cultural item. Here, they're slightly more out there. Obviously, everyone knows about sheep, but not everyone has sheep. Well, in those days, in those days, most people had sheep. And these sheep uh, needed to be cared for, and shepherds cared for the sheep. The, sh- the shepherds provided for the sheep, the, the shepherds uh, led the sheep. And so as people were like uh, having people who were ruling over them, and also were seeing sheep who were be- being looked after, they quite naturally made the association between those two, those two things. It's like, oh yeah, so kind of this guy who's, in, who, who's, who's ruling over us is caring for us and protecting us and leading us. It's a bit like a shepherd, really. So the two ideas came together. And that's why um, you will often see uh, rulers uh, have a, a scepter, like a stick of some sort. Um, and that originally was a shepherd's staff. And over time, it became a lot more fancy and a lot more covered in gold and things like that, which is not the standard equipment that shepherds are given. But that's where it came from, because these two ideas were so closely linked together. Israel's two greatest leaders, Moses and David, are both described as being shepherds of God's people. In fact, not only are they described as being shepherds of God's people, this was how God trained them to be shepherds of God's people. They were shepherds of sheep. 
They both had years of experience of that. And it was, it, that's not like, oh, a happy coincidence. It's like God was preparing them in this way. But God did more than just give shepherds to his people. He shepherded his people himself. He led them through the wilderness after their escape from Egypt and into the pasture of the promised land. And the prophet Isaiah shows us how the image of a shepherd helps us to understand how God is both mighty and caring. Isaiah 40 verse 10 and 11 says, Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. This is mighty and strong and victorious. And then it says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. He is both those things at once because a shepherd has to be both those things at once. A shepherd needs to be strong to fight off wolves and thieves and others who would attack the sheep. Shepherd needs to be tough. It's an outdoor life. You are there day and night, whatever the weather, you're there. But shepherd also needs to attend to the needs of fragile lambs and sheep that have wandered off. And because God did all these things and more for his people, the king of those people, David, could say, the Lord is my shepherd and instruct all the rest of us to say the same. This means that those who have got authority in God's kingdom have a responsibility for the flock, but they also have a responsibility to the flock's owner. So to be a ruler in Israel wasn't to be given carte blanche. You were a steward of someone else's property. That's really different from all other kings. It's all different from our other rulers. If you, if you run a business, you will call it my business. Uh, if you are um, you know, uh, uh, an owner of something, you say, well, I own this. But leaders in God's kingdom can never say that because God owns his people. God leads his people. And then he gives others to lead as part of that leadership and care. Now, too often in the Old Testament, we see God's people being led badly. And when they're chastised, for example, the prophet Ezekiel, God doesn't say, you clearly haven't got it about shepherds. I'll use a different metaphor. No, he, he talks in terms about shepherding. He says, you are, you are bad shepherds. You are not caring for the sheep. And what usually happens in the Old Testament, when we see man failing to do a job, God says, I'm going to have to do it instead. And so in Ezekiel 34, verse 15, he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And so with all that background, when centuries later in John 10 verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's not just saying something nice. It's like, oh, that's a nice picture. No, no, it's much more than that. He is talking about his care and his sacrificial love but he is also talking about his authority and his divinity. Now, when Jesus had risen from the dead and was about to ascend to heaven, uh, he gathered his followers together and he gave them what we call the Great Commission. It's like, this is how you are to live. This is what you're to do. You're my followers. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
These guys have spent three years with Jesus. Uh, he'd help them to understand uh, God's purposes and understand God's word. And then he said, it's time for you to go. And their response to all this training and to this calling was to go and preach the good news that Jesus was Lord and that he died and risen again to save us. And then to establish communities of believers who put their trust in that message. Churches. That was how they responded to the Great Commission. And these churches were led by teams of elders. All the references to elders in the New Testament are plural. There's never an individual leading a church on their own. It can be tempting to think, oh, we've heard of Paul, we hear of Peter and some other names as well, so they were doing it by themselves. But actually, you see, even those guys, they're never doing things by themselves. They're always working in teams. Paul will sometimes say, I could have gone to that place and done a whole load of great stuff, but I was by myself, so I didn't. Really different to how we tend to think uh, individualistically, but this is how these guys did it. They'd learn from Jesus, they'd learn in their teams And so eldership in the New Testament is always plural. A team of elders, when you think about it, will have more capacity to care. So often, you know, if maybe you come from another church, like there's there's one person in charge, you think, well, so why can't I find the one person at charge in Kings? Why does Dan keep saying, well, it's me, but it's Luke and Matthew? Why does Matthew say it's me, but it's uh, Luke and Dan? Why do we say it like this? Well, a team of elders will have more capacity to care. I mean, it's, it's just maths. There's three of us at the moment, and we want there to be six of us. That's more than one. A team of elders will have more gifts to bless the church with. Again, there's more gifts in more people. A team of elders will have more perspective to help in making decisions and will also have more mutual accountability to ensure that as leaders we stay on the right track. Now, the first mention of elders as having authority amongst God's people is all the way back in Exodus 3.16, early days of the Old Testament. And the elders there uh, were those who tended to have a a sphere of influence within the tribe that they were a part of. Uh, There was also a national council of them. Um, Later on, the Jews went into their promised land and then were scattered out of it again uh, because they'd rebelled against God. um, And they were away from Jerusalem, which was the center of all things. And so they established these communities, which they called synagogues. And those synagogues were led by elders. And the elders taught the people and they trained others how to teach. And they judged disputes and difficulties and they helped to care for the people. And that was the kind of Old Testament and Jewish pattern uh, that I think is fair to assume that the New Testament Christians picked up on and said, right, what does this look like now that Jesus is Lord and we understand this message of the gospel? How should we do this? Well, one of the things they kept doing was having the communities led by elders. Acts 11 and 15 tells us that the church in Jerusalem, which is where the original apostles are, like you know, the, the key first leaders, they're in Jerusalem and that church also has elders. Uh, In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, they go planting churches all over the place and we're told that they appointed elders in every church. Paul spent years in Ephesus uh, preaching and establishing a gospel, uh, establishing a church there. In Acts 20, we're told there were elders in that church. He speaks about what an elder should do and be in his first letter to Timothy because Timothy is now in Ephesus and needs to make sure that the churches there have elders. Similarly, he wrote to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So this is used all over the place in the New Testament church. Now we started by talking about shepherds. Now we've talked about elders. 
Now I'm going to bring them together. Because in the New Testament, these two terms are, I think, essentially interchangeable. This is what Peter did in our reading. He says, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. Similarly, in Acts 20, Paul says, he gathers the elders of the Ephesian church and says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And so these two passages directly bring these two terms together. And then when you see all the New Testament passages about this role, they're given different names sometimes, but there's so much overlap that it's clearly meaning the same role. And in um, both of these passages well, another word's added, overseer. Now when we hear the word overseer, it sounds maybe like an office supervisor or something like that, but the Greek word meant something more like a watchman. And so clearly this is a role that needs more than one word to describe it. So I've said it needs more than one person to do it, and now I'm saying it needs more than one word to describe it. We've got this word elder, which has that, that sense of maturity and responsibility. It's the word shepherd. The Latin word for this, by the way, is pastor. That's where that comes from. A shepherd, which talks about protecting and caring. There's overseer, which means keeping watch. And then there are other words used in the New Testament as well. The word leader is used, which of course means giving direction and being an example. Uh, Teacher is often associated with all of this. Feeding the church from God's word and training others to continue this. And father as well. Uh, which gives a sense of love and nurture and provision. All these words are the defining words for this role of eldership in the church. Now, before we go on to look a bit more about what these elders are meant to do and how the church uh, should respond to its elders, I want to address one other really important point. Because we believe that eldership is for certain men only. Eldership is, eldership is not a role that any man can do, but we believe it is a role that only a man should do. That obviously needs some explaining, because that will be really difficult for some of you to hear. And for all of us in our culture, this, you think, well, this doesn't sound like what everyone else is saying, so what's going on here? I would hate for you to misunderstand this, and it would be awful for you to not get God's heart and what he has for you to do among us. Maybe you're not a Christian. You thought, oh, come on to church. I hear they're quite nice. You're like, oh, no, I was right. They're a bunch of sexists. And there's a lot of anecdotal evidence around that might support that, tragically. Um, but let me just explain what our foundations are for believing what we believe and doing what we do. And these foundations are built on an assumption that men and women are equal and different. And that there isn't a contradiction in that. We believe the Bible is God's timeless word to us. It's what God has said to us and it teaches us what we should do. And that is good for all of us. It teaches that all women and men are equal in value in God's eyes and should be in ours as well. We believe that women are made in the image of the creator God, which means that they are able to display what he is like in ways that men cannot, and vice versa. 
We believe that Jesus died on a cross, was treated shamefully, shed his precious blood to save women from their sins because he loved them and valued them so much. We believe that the Holy Spirit fills women with his presence just as he does with men and gives his gifts to them just as he does to men. And so from first to last, the Bible affirms that God has given women and men the same dignity and the same worth. And so every sin of belittling or discriminating or abuse of women will be punished by God. Because these are totally, these aren't just like, oh, it's a shame you got that. These are against his purposes, against his heart. They will be punished in one of two places. Either on the cross, where Jesus died and took the punishment for our sins. Some people will realize that they've done this and repent. And Jesus will have taken God's punishment for them having done that. And others on the final day of judgment, when God will make everything right. It's really serious. Also, from first to last in the Bible, we see that gender is a God-given blessing which glorifies God when it's recognized and respected. Men and women are equal but not equivalent. And our gender differences are gifts from God that should not be abused or ignored but celebrated. And that tends to be what happens, doesn't it? People either tend to ignore all difference or abuse on the basis of that difference. And if you see one of them happening, you might think, well, I I don't want to do that, so I'll go the other way. And God says something much better. No, these are good differences to be celebrated. Biblical equality means letting women be women who are led by the Spirit and letting men be men who are led by the Spirit. And it means are celebrating that and encouraging one another in how we do that. Now within marriage and church leadership, there are distinct roles for men and women to play. And eldership in the church is equated in the Bible with the role of the husband in the family as a kind of head of a household role. And so only men should be appointed as elders. The New Testament language about eldership always uh, either assumes maleness or specifically defines it as such. And so this is what we do as well. Now, because this is such an important issue and such an emotive issue and so unusual in our culture, it requires more time to talk about it than I am able to give today. And that's why uh, last year we wrote a paper uh, on our position on this, explaining it, uh, giving a lot more detail. Uh, It's been in the news email for the last couple of weeks. Uh, It'll be in there again this week. It'll be on the website as well. Uh, And it's there for you to read and really think through and look at the scriptures and and be convinced by yourself. So we'd love you to read that. I'd love you to read it either way. If you're like, oh, I know all this. It's all fine. I'd still love you to read it because I don't want you to just do something because I say so. I want you to believe it's in the Bible. But also, if you're troubled by this, I'd love you to read that as a starting point. And then if you want to talk more, share your questions or observations, uh, we would love to talk with you about that. Uh, Myself or Dan or Matthew would love to do that. I'm aware as well that if three men say, hey, we'd love to talk with you about that, 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 you may just feel a little uncomfortable if you don't know us that well. Uh, So maybe speak to a woman in this church as well. Say, how has this been your experience? And hey, could we meet up with one of these guys? I'd I'd really like to talk about that. We really want you uh, to do that if that's what you need to do. And the other thing I'd really encourage you to do uh, is just to spend time with us, to be part of this community. Now, of course, we don't always get this right. Like everything, we're we're imperfect. 
But if you look around this church and you see how many women are here and vitally involved in the life of this church, I think it might put some of your fears of what this means uh, to rest. When we have our serving fair today, there are going to be men and women who are leading all of those teams. And we want you to get involved. So, okay. Let's look now at bit more of what elders are to do, and then we're going to finish by looking at how the church is to respond to its elders. So we've seen there are lots of words and titles used to describe an elder's role. There's an elder, there's shepherd, there's overseer, there's leader, there's father. I think we can bring all of these together and summarize them by saying that elders are to protect the church from harm. That's what they're there to do. It's what I'm here to do. And uh, we, in that way, if you wanted a summary word, you could say they're guardians. There's both a negative aspect to that. They are to stop bad things from happening. But there's also a positive aspect to that. They are to make sure that good things are happening. And here's five ways in which they can do that. And hopefully, they all start with D. The first is this. They are elders are to display a godly lifestyle. This is so important that Matthew is going to spend an entire preach on this next week. Um, and so I'm not going to need to say much more about this than now, other than to say that you should be able to look at an elder and think that is an example of godliness, of following Jesus. I can learn from them and follow them. You should be able to do that in your elders. Secondly, elders are to give direction. It's, the church is not meant to be static and passive. It's meant to be on the move. It's meant to be following Jesus. And elders should be praying about this and talking about this and working out uh, what to do about it. Uh, They should be listening out for the prophetic. They should be taking counsel from others as well. And then the responsibility for that decision then rests on them. Elders also give definition, teaching God's truth as it really is. There is a gospel. There is a truth about who God is and who Jesus is and what it means to love him and to follow him. And there are lots of other people saying all sorts of other things about that. And elders role is to say, this is what God has said. This is what the Bible says about these things. We need to make sure that not only we understand it, but that we pass it on and continue for other generations and other churches to know that. And so this giving of definition and teaching is much more than sermons on a Sunday. But elders decide what gets taught and how and by whom as well. It doesn't just reside with the elders to teach. They're also making sure that the teaching is happening in all the different contexts that we have. Elders are also to bring discipline. And this involves protecting the church and its members from the dangers of sin. And we do this by warning all of what's right and what's wrong and what God says about things. Also involves challenging those who are persistently um, and unrepentantly sinning. And if necessary, it can involve barring those who are unrepentant from the, ch- from the benefits of church membership. Someone gets to a point, they're like, I don't care, I'm going to keep doing this. We say, well, you, you cannot be part of us anymore because it is dangerous to everyone else and to you for you to continue to live in this way. And the way we're going to show you how serious we think this is is by saying you can't be a member of this church until you repent. Now, encouraging one another to live holy lives is a responsibility for everyone. But when someone persistently ignores this, it's an elder's job to get involved and help them realize the seriousness of what they're doing. And then finally, delegation. Every member of this church has something to contribute. Every member of this church has gifts. They wouldn't just be nice if you brought them. They are required. It's why God's brought you here, so that you can bring your gifts. 
Elders shouldn't be doing everything, but they have a responsibility to make sure that everything is being done. And that's why we have so many people involved. Like Viv just said that stat, there's like 70 serving opportunities today. So there's hundreds a month, which means thousands a year. And because so many of you are involved in this way, that's why the church is growing and flourishing as it is. That's why we're able to do so much great stuff. Because we're not holding it in this small uh, team of us. We're saying, no, our job is to make sure that all of you are doing what God's called you to do. It's brilliant when that happens. We love seeing people step up and, and just doing things that we can't do. So those are five ways of understanding uh, what an elder is called to do. Those roles do not require being a full-time paid member of church staff to do them. Now, because the three of us at the moment do all happen to be paid members of staff as well, it's understandable if you think, oh, well, being an elder means being paid by the church. But that, that's not the case. It just happens to be how things have been for us for the last three, or, three years or so. The New Testament encourages churches to pay some of their leaders, as well as other people in ministry and other people who are supporting those people in what they're doing. But it doesn't say that that's what you have to do. And, um, and so that won't be what's happening from now on. And I, I think that's really exciting because I think that deepens our understanding of what eldership is. You won't equate it with sitting in the church office, which you probably currently do at the moment. I think there's aspects of eldership that uh, Sandy and Andy in particular will be able to contribute uh, to in, in a way that the rest of us won't because their paid work uh, isn't within the church. Each of us, whether uh, we're paid to do this or not, as elders are called to display, uh, to direct, to define, uh, to bring discipline and to delegate. Some of these things we'll talk about and do all together. Some of them will particularly assign different responsibilities at different times or different teams and with other people involved as well. And because this team will have grown, this church will have an eldership that has more gifts, more perspectives, more time, more support, and that should be good news for everyone. That's our hope. So, finally, after all of that context setting and explanation, how should you respond? And the first thing I want to say is this. Whatever you do, don't consider eldership to be some sort of ultimate role or highest level accomplishment. That if you don't get to do it, something's gone wrong. Because I think we can tend to think that way. We, we think hierarchically. And one of our jobs as leaders is to try and keep the hierarchies to a minimum in this church. Because we think that there are many teams in Kings. And teams that need you. And need you to play your part in them. Just as much as the eldership team needs us. Eldership is just how some of us are called to obey. And everyone here is called to obey Jesus. Everyone here is called to tell other people about Jesus. Everyone here is called to make disciples who follow Jesus. Everyone here is called to advance the kingdom of God wherever God has put you. And everyone here has been called to use the spiritual gifts that God has given you for his glory and for the good of the church. There is no one here for whom those things don't apply. And to, to do those things well is how God will define success for you. That's where he wants your ambitions to be shaped by. That you would obey God and do the best of what he has called you to do. The other way in which you do that is, is by serving. 
by just saying, I'm going to help in this way. I'm going to be involved in this way. and this, I'm going to find meaning in this. If you spend your whole time thinking, if only I could do that, then I have some meaning. No one ever gets to that point. But you say, I serve where I am today. In terms of responding to us as elders, this is a really important point. We do not compel your obedience. We appeal to your conscience based on the word of God and on the testimony of our lives. So what I didn't do, as you'll have hopefully noticed in the preach today, is say, listen guys, I'm one of the elders, so basically what I say goes, so this is what you need to do. We're like, you know, we've got the last 10 minutes to think about what you need to do. I spent the whole time trying to appeal to you from the word, saying, because I'm not, it's not me leading, I'm leading on behalf of God. So I'm saying, it's, it's here, it's here for you to see and be convinced by yourself, that's what I want for you to do. I want you to say, yeah, I'm not just taking his word for it. I'm convinced, I'm one, as it were. And you decide to accept us as elders as having spiritual authority in your life by agreeing to become a member of the church. That's, that's when that moment happens. That's when you say, yes, I, I want to be led by you guys. I'm inviting you uh, to, be this, uh, to have spiritual authority in my life, to be the elders of the church that I'm a part of. We advertised it earlier on Sunday the 28th of October in the afternoon and the 18th of November in the morning. We're doing our next Explore membership course. And if you've been coming here for a while and saying, yes, Yes, I've got some questions, but yes, I love this place. I want to be part of it. Then please, would you sign up uh, for that event? It's going to be great. And as much as you're free to step in and do that, you're also free to step away and not receive that. And so you can decide to reject us by not doing that and going elsewhere. That's, that's your choice. It's, it's not my responsibility to keep you here. It's your responsibility. The choice is always yours. We hope you'll follow us. We honestly believe and sincerely believe that we're, we're doing what God's called us to do and that that involves building this church together and we want you with us. But the responsibility for that choice is yours. So that's the key way in which you respond to elders. Following that, I would encourage you to expect God to speak to you through us. Maybe to you individually, but certainly to us as a church. It's one of the things we believe God would would gives eldership for that sense of direction and, and, uh, and um, definition of who God is and what he's saying to us. Sometimes um, you may just be having a conversation with one of us and we'll suggest something. It's just kind of based on the wisdom God's given us. Sometimes we'll be sharing our faith with you. We'll be sharing what we feel God's called us to do as a church. We say, hey, we really want you to be involved in this. We really want you to get on board with this with us. And sometimes we'll be saying, there's no debate about what God's will is. I'm showing you right here from the word. I'm asking you to trust me. It's right there. You, You need to do that. And those are different kinds of scenarios that require different levels of response. Because what you mustn't hear is, I'm saying, you know, you must, if an elder says something to you, God has spoken to you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he may, but it slightly depends on the scenario. And I I tend to try and help you know which of those is I'm thinking. So I say, why don't you think about this? It could work out like this. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I think it could. And that's me just trying to help you from my wisdom and the spirit of God in me. And other people could give you similar help. Other people might give you better help. That's fine. Sometimes 
like with um, Andy and Sandy and Chris for New Elders, like when we uh, take up um, offerings, we ask you to give sacrificially. Uh, like when we say, hey, we're going to start new small groups in places. And uh, when we say, hey, would you serve so that we can make this happen, so that more people can come in. We're sharing our faith with you, saying we believe that if we do this, God will do that. Would you come with us on that? And, and usually God's good to us and makes it clear, and so we make the right decisions. Sometimes we might not get it right. And we'll have to come back to you and say, we thought it was this. Turned out it wasn't. But hey, we tried together and we believed God. Let's go again and hopefully wiser and learn some more and more discerning. And then there's other times, and I've spoken to people in this way. I've said, listen, what you're wanting to do right now, it directly contradicts God's word. You're saying you should do this. And I'm saying the Bible literally says the opposite. And at that point, you need to decide if you're going to hear the authority that I would believe is God speaking to you on matters of serious sin and obedience. So how you respond is dependent in terms of hearing from God through us. depends on the situation, but I'd encourage you to think, maybe God is going to speak to me in this way. Can I encourage you to encourage us? Kings is brilliant at this. Um, otherwise, maybe I would have spent the whole sermon just saying it repeatedly. But it's Kings of Brilliant. It's such an encouraging church. We love your faith. We love how you believe God. We love how you're uh, expectant that God's going to work and, and how you love celebrating when he does. A leader's greatest challenge is dealing with discouragement. Uh, if you're not a leader, I'm just letting you know, it's the, the easiest way for the enemy to get us down. It's just say, don't bother with that. That's not working, is it? You know how that'll happen if you try doing that again. And the enemy wants to paralyze us and stop us. And that's true for you, and it's true for us as leaders. God just, just, the enemy just turns up the heat of that. And so it's so helpful to hear when things are going well, as well as when things aren't. It's so helpful to, to know that and to be sharing these things together, to be a family together. Also, I want to just ask you would you pray for us? When God does us good, it will do you good. And you can use the criteria of I've outlined today. If you think, what should I pray for them? Well, pray, pray that we're able to do all of those things. And there's a lot of them. Pray also along the lines of the character stuff that Matthew will be sharing next week. We'd really welcome and urge and ask for your prayers for us. Because the other thing about eldership is that we're answerable to God for you. Uh, we're going to see Jesus face to face on Judgment Day, and He's going to ask us how we obeyed Him by caring for all of you. So there's that. So we'd really value your prayers. And the one thing we'd like you to do, particularly over the next couple of weeks, is we'd, we'd really like you to email us your feedback about Andy and Sandy and Chris according to what we've said an elder should do. Uh, we've really got faith that these are great guys and that they can serve as elders and that they're going to bless this church by doing so. And we've seen more than enough in them now to be convinced of it. But we also, now, also know uh, that the more you grow as an elder, the, the, the better at it you get. And so we've got faith for them now, but also believing that God's going to do even more in them over time. And we just want to hear from you on that and saying really clearly, we want you to, if you, if you think yes, then please email us saying yes. But if you think, actually, I'm, because of that, I'm slightly unsure. Because of that, I'm a little bit concerned. Please let us know that. 
You've got two weeks to do that. We're going to, uh, deadline's on the 19th of October uh, because we want to be able to say, yep, we're all there, we're all clear, we're all agreed, and so that we can then uh, get ready, hopefully, for a celebration on the 3rd. If you love something, you care for it. Uh, we really love you guys. We love this church, and so we do our best to care for it as best we can. The great thing is, Jesus loves this church, and he cares for it ever so well. And that includes giving it elders to love and care for it. Why don't we just end by thanking him for his loving care for us and asking him to keep doing so. Jesus, you're the great shepherd of the sheep. You're the one who is the good shepherd. And... We just delight to say, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, restores my soul. Leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil and our cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we'll dwell in your house forever. Amazing, amazing Lord. Thank you for caring for us so much. And Lord, thank you for your word, which shows us this pattern of leadership that we believe in here. Um, Thank you for the grace that you give to us to... Uh, to do that and to receive it. Would we be able to continue in it, please? Uh, Help us over these next couple of weeks to have good conversations, real good, clear understanding of of how this all works and how uh, Chris and Andy and Sandy can contribute to that as well. Lord, keep leading us, please. Keep tending us. Thank you that you're mighty and gentle. And so we put all our trust and all our hope in you. Amen.